Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is a podcast about sometimes saving the world and sometimes just surviving in it. In the next hour or so, we will nurture our friendships, explore our joy, shake our fists, all while trying to serve our God, and most likely, all while wearing pajamas. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. Ladies, I am so excited to be here. And I'm excited to be here for a simple reason, and that reason is that I love Prince of Peace. This place has my heart. The reasons that I love Prince of Peace are not so simple. Um, If I were hard-pressed to come up with one sentence why I love your parish the way that I do, it would be that I spent a long time telling myself that I didn't belong in a Catholic church, and Prince of Peace has showed me otherwise. Telling the whole story involves going back a bit. I love the Lord, and I came to know God through the prayers of my mom, and then more so through the messy skits of a Young Life production, and then deeper still at camps. I let Jesus hold my hand through trials of adolescence and young adulthood. God was freely talked about in our home. I occasionally went to church, but it was through that ministry outreach for high school students that I started to find a deep and mature faith. For the first time, I understood God as a person, and Jesus became real. During that time, I accepted his invitation of true friendship, and I have nurtured that relationship, sometimes making a colossal mess of things, but always coming back to it again and again, refined and humbled and seeking and committed. My faith, it was developing swimmingly until I met my husband, and he was Catholic. That was when God decided to get all up in my business in new and inventive ways. I joke that if I would have met my husband online, he and I would have filtered each other out. I mean, he's bald, he's Catholic, and he doesn't think the dogs should be allowed in the house. And here I was, Protestant, a terrible cook, and I don't just think that dogs should be allowed in the house, but ten? In the bed? The more the merrier! Side note, he doesn't like dogs in the house, and I went ten in the bed. Currently, there are only two in the bed because life is about compromise, ladies. But, oh, I liked this boy. I really liked this cute, Catholic, bald, animal-hating boy. And I didn't figure I could do much about him being bald. And his opinions about my rat terrier didn't really seem to be softening any. So if this was going to work at all, I figured I'd better start to learn a little about his religion. Our faiths were different. He was stoic and prayerful. I'll never forget one time it was our first argument. And I had stormed out of the room, and then I had turned around and stormed right back in because I needed to tell him one more thing. And when I flung the door open, he was on his knees beside the bed, praying. I would have never, I would have never turned to a kneeling prayer in a moment like that. Our faiths were different. What I lacked in discipline, I made up for in celebration. I was a free spirit. I was certain that the Lord made squirrels just for me. Now, as a married couple 12 years later, we do our best to mix both of those, the strengths of both of those, disciplined, prayerful, celebratory, joyful. But at the time, I had decided to commit to learning more about the church that Seth was so committed to. 
I needed some balance. I recognized that. So, I started RCIA with no expectations about where it might or might not take me. I was only there to learn not to commit. And I told Seth upon entering RCIA that I would not make this decision to be closer to him. I would only make this decision if I felt that it brought me closer to God. And I hoped that I meant that. I knew that it sounded right, but the truth was that he was so cute. And I desperately wanted us to share something deeply spiritual. So what convinced me? A lot. But it wasn't an emotional decision. It was a rational one. And the reason why was because I wasn't unhappy in my faith. I wasn't leaving something for something else. And in a way, I feel like my Catholicism was just another stair step that was bringing me closer to God. It wasn't even the longest jump I had ever taken. But it was off track, and by that, I guess I just mean surprising. When people ask me now why I converted, I have a long answer and a short one. The short one is that it was the church that Jesus started. Period. The end. I try to do everything else he tells me. I would love to share the long answer, but it's another talk, honestly. To put it simply, I fell in love with Catholic doctrine. While studying, I found a few truths that just wouldn't let me go. And it opened up new possibilities. It seemed to make God even bigger. And it's been a fun part of my journey. But here's the deal. I'm going to be honest. Please don't be mad at me because I'm taking a risk by telling you this. But mass was painful for me. I mean, I became a Christian through messy skits and catchy songs and grown men and women embarrassing themselves on a stage. And not any time soon was Father Dan going to see how many marshmallows he can fit in his mouth. And frankly, I wasn't sure what church was about without marshmallows. So for the first eight years of our marriage, Seth had to drag me to church. On Sundays, he was in charge of getting the kids dressed and getting his wife dressed and dragging us all to the car and shoving us all in. Poor man, I am not proud. Luckily, I've matured, and I now find the Mass deeply beautiful. This is also a whole other talk. But it's taken a while. But I love the Catholic Church. I feel as bound to her as I do to my marriage. It is for better or worse. I love belonging to an ancient story, the bells, the smells, the dark, the enticing, the physical and magical and mystical and weird. There is something about Catholic Christian worship that makes my faith feel like it's come full circle. But it isn't without complication for me still. I've never been able to shy away from complicated, necessarily. I even kind of like it. But I have found fitting in difficult. And loneliness has been an important part of my journey here. But Jesus seems to think it's quite all right. It was certainly part of his too. In the United States, there are now 22 million ex-Catholics, which is big enough to be the largest religious denomination in the country. This is the bad news, by the way. The church drops four members for every one member it gains, and if it were not for Hispanic immigration, it would have been declining for decades. Yet, this is the good news, the Catholic Church in America also holds on to almost 70% of its members into adulthood, which is a higher retention rate than any other Christian denomination. So those statistics suggest that the problem for Catholicism isn't so much what happens once people are actually here, but it's getting them through the door in the first place. And isn't that just so? 
Don't you feel like if people could just get here and then we could help them plug in, they'd be here for life? Those statistics, they're surprising to me because personally I was sold once I learned about the church. It was staying that's been hard because people look at me a little funny when I dance during the hallelujah. So these facts are hard to believe, but they're stubborn. But y'all, Prince of Peace, you have something here, ladies. You have something worth celebrating. I walk through these doors during my petulant years of hating my new church, the same way you hate something you feel tied to for better or for worse, and I felt something different. This place gives me so much hope, and I can't put my finger on it. There is something here that fills in these vacancies in my spirit and in my heart. And whatever you do here, ladies, it's different. It feels like Jesus. And it is absolutely something you must share. You've been blessed. And listen, blessings aren't for us to roll around in and hoard. No, they are to share. You must share the goodness that Prince of Peace knows and bring it to the people who come home here. And this is what brings us to the new evangelization. My Protestant roots won't turn me loose in celebration and community and Sunday school. But my Catholic faith guides my pursuit of holiness through the sacraments. And I used to see my feet in both circles as this separating chasm in my spirit threatening to split me into a weakness. Because who would really have me? But I'm beginning to see it as a bridge. And if I were to run on something, it would be unity. I love unity. I feel passionately about leaving Sundays to you and with whom you choose to go tromping through the weeds, but Saturday through Monday, let's link elbows as children of God and lovers of Christ and housers of the Holy Spirit, and let's let everything else shrink down to its proper proportion when compared to God's love and get some work done in his name for his people to build his kingdom for his glory. Because if not his church to light up the dark corners of the world, then who? Our churches are our families, loving, trying their best, messing up along the way. And I've never thought it was very nice to go around bragging about the issues your family doesn't have or pointing out other families' flaws. Because we are called to be a city on a hill blazing with love for one another. And church, let's wake up. Let's spread goodness. Let's use the liberation we have experienced to more thoughtfully, more heartfully love the people around us. Let's not close ourselves off, retreating into our own security, as Pope Francis says. Opting for rigidity and defensiveness, he continues to say, but instead let's understand the gospel and discern the paths of the Spirit. And then do the good that we can, even if in the process our shoes are soiled by the mud on the street, he finishes. From the book of 1 Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. This is my friend Heidi. We've been friends for three years. Heidi faithfully pours out her gifts, putting herself into service. She uses her strength to strengthen others, and she is very, very tall. Hi, Heidi. Hi. You just got back from um, being the hands and feet of Jesus, yes. singing at the Cancer Center. Yes. These are the things I love about you. I love it. Um, 
I met you, Heidi, during a time in my walk. Um, as you know, I'm a convert to the Catholic Church, and my road has not necessarily been the smoothest. Um, but I, at this time in my life, and it was really regarding the Catholic Church, I was in a spot where I was constantly wondering why I couldn't just be more at ease. Um, I was so mad at myself that I couldn't just fit in like everybody else. And um, it was a time where I felt really cagey mm. at mass. And um, as I looked around, it seemed like everyone else was really just kind of coasting along just fine. And I spent a lot of time scolding myself because there was this longing in my heart. And, and the longing said, why is it that you insist on things being the way that, that they could be instead of just accepting things as they are? Mm. And um, there was something about you, um, because we're, we're church friends, and there was something about you, it's hard to name, but there was something about the way that you talked and the way that you interacted with others that I could just very easily see Christ. Mm. And I could tell that church just wasn't this system of arcane rights to you. It wasn't just a place to be on Sunday. There was something about the way that you moved and talked um, that you seemed to embrace suffering, which, by the way, I want to have you on again in season two to talk about your important work as a hospital chaplain. But there was something about the way that you embraced suffering. There was something um, about the way that you poured out kindness. Like, I, I actually witnessed it, that I, I had this thought, if she can thrive here, I can too. Mm. And, and all of this was from afar. Like, wow. you and I have never had this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> we wow. probably should have, right? That was really great. <laughs> but... Um, you just, you came to me when I needed it. And so I've had this kind of image of you and your walk and, and I'm, I might be really far off, but it served me well, um, at that time. How, and, and since then, by the way, I have found so many ways to be comfortable in my Catholicism and, um, and I'm really thriving, but, but that image came to me at a, at a, in a dark spot. Mm. So. Thank you. Holy thank, Spirit. Thank, thank you. you, Heidi. Yes, yes. <laughs> so how how far off am I? Like, how comfortable are you with your Catholicism? You know, I am. Uh, I am comfortable. Um, and I may have been more comfortable long ago when that was the only world I lived in. Mm -hmm. In my Catholic world, and everyone I knew was Catholic, and so we very much think the same way. Yeah. And um, can kind of operate on the same set of assumptions. Um, but now, working as a hospital chaplain, I work with people of all faiths, and um, Amen. and which is a tremendous, tremendous privilege. Um, and I am, I love being Catholic, but um, in the ecumenical environment, like I don't like telling people I'm Catholic necessarily. And it's my work as a chaplain is to support them in their faith, mm -hmm. and so I hold my Catholic faith mm -hmm. sort of on one level mm -hmm. and on the other level I am there to support them in their faith mm -hmm. even if it's separate from mine mm -hmm. and so it definitely takes a knowing of who am I mm -hmm. and what do I believe and how do I best love this person and one of the one of the greatest quotes um, um, Father Ian Matthew maybe an impact of God maybe mm -hmm. said you know that we have to um, 
treat people like God treats people, and in his description, that was in a way that they can handle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, so I love being Catholic. There was a time after I got married that I actually participated in the Baptist church for a year and a half because mm-hmm. my husband was Baptist, mm-hmm. and although we got married in the Catholic church, mm-hmm. he was from the Baptist church, and we lived in the country, and there were some close by, and we were invited, and I was young and in love, and I went mm-hmm. with him, and was never unhappy in the Catholic church, just... Uh, willing, you know, mm-hmm. to follow him wherever. And, you know, after seeing two churches really split very much right down the middle and being present for those things, um, I was like, wow, I am, I need to go home. Yeah. And I did. And I said, you can come if you want. I'll go right. to two services. Wow. I'll go to Baptist service and Catholic service. But all I know is I'm So the church that you were going to... Split. Had a divorce. Yes. And so you're... And which isn't going to happen. Not going to happen. In the Catholic church. Yep. And you were no. like, I'm going home. Had never appreciated that about the Catholic church. Right. You're sitting in the pew and going, wow, this place is busting up. And yeah. the first day at the... We were invited to another church. And I don't know if I've told you this story, but the very first day... We were there. The woman who invited us said, you know, you came on a bad day, but it's going to be okay. And the pastor asked for a standing vote of who wanted him to stay and who wanted him to leave. And he was voted out. And the congregation walked out after him in the middle of this service. And I'm horrified. And my husband is just, I'm like, let's go. And he's like, no, let's stay. Like, this is unbelievable. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. I love every step of my path. I am so grateful for my Protestant roots. But my husband, who's a cradle Catholic... I was telling him about how they were, you know, doing something similar. They were taking a vote. And so Seth was just blown away. He's like, whoa, 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 let me get this straight. You can fire the preacher? And I'm like, well, yeah. And he was like, how does anybody hear the truth that way? How do they ever hear things they don't want to hear if you can just fire the guy who's saying it? Yeah. I was like, it's a good point. I've never thought of it. But to really feel that challenge to stay in and be transformed by imperfect churches. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, the Baptist church, I mean, I started, I mean, I was taking my Bible to church and I've never eaten so well in my life. And, (laughs) you know, and I really struggled with, you know, if I looked in the back of this small country Baptist church and it just had to stand outside and look in the back doors. And then the same thing for the Catholic church that I've been attending and you had to decide which one, if only one could be God's church, which one would that be based on what you saw? Mm. I would say it would be the Baptist church, hands down, because mm. look how they love one another. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a sin to, you know, lean over someone you don't know to greet someone you do know. It's like <laughs> about, like, winning souls to the church, you yeah. know? And then, so I really reflected on that, and, you know, in the Catholic church and Jesus being in the tabernacle. And mm. that's where our focus is when we are in Mass. We're standing alongside right. our brothers and sisters in, in community. Um, but, but Christ is present. Yeah. And so it makes sense. Yeah. Um, For the longest time, I thought everyone in Catholic Church was mean. Yeah. They're not mean, they're reverent. Yeah. And so understanding that difference was really crucial for me. Like, oh, they're not mad at me. No. <laughs> I just thought I was messing everything it's, up. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and so I do think I do think that we can be reverent and loving. Like yes. I think that I think there's still a lot to be um, gained there. Yeah, yeah. We have a lot to learn about celebration. Yeah. Yeah. You know what you were talking about, you were trying to quote someone I don't remember, but um, I feel like Pope Francis has been so outspoken about um, you know, coming open-handed. We know we know what our our doctrine teaches. 
we don't need to grab onto that with white knuckles to go meet somebody where they're at. There's going to be things that we, that we let go. I wish I had the exact quote cause I've underlined it and highlighted it and, you know, taped it to my mirror. But, um, but just basically saying, you know, in order to meet people where they are, we're going to have to let a few things go. So I think that it's a perfectly holy thing to do to, you know, keep a lot of, um, the details of our doctrine or our rituals, um, you know, why that would work its way into a hospital room. Um, you know, probably not all the time. Yeah. So yeah, and there's a place for that, but yeah. And it's like, you know, when people are grieving or they're suffering, you know, um, there is, you know, all truths are not equally kind in every moment. You know? Oh, I love that. Yeah. And so it's really, really, um, to hold the heart of the person in front of you and what is, um, what would, you know, what would feel loving for them? Yeah. And, and so often it's not anything we're offering, but holding a space for yeah, them and whatever yeah. they, whatever is already within them. That's beautiful. Let's not major in the minors and minor in the majors in a time like that. Mm. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I was always, I guess, you know, before with my, you know, Protestant roots, when I thought of Catholicism, I, you know, I always thought of, um, you know, sin and hell, you know, these complicated legalistic, um, rituals and things like that. And so the first, I remember I was probably eight. The first time I walked into, I went to mass with a friend and the first time I walked in and there was something about seeing the life-size crucifix mm. that took my breath away. Mm. And and at the time, it wasn't necessarily in a good way. It was just shocking. It wasn't in a bad way either. It was just shocking. Yeah. Um, I had never really seen that. I mean, yeah, I, I get there, there was something about the life-sizeness yes. of it, yes. you know? And, and now, um, that was foreign to me in my, in my Protestant upbringing. Now, there is something about it, and I think it has to do a little bit with my motherhood, but I've spent a lot of time in my um, more contemplative moments um, comforting God, mm. comforting Jesus. I've mm. spent a lot of time like laying next to him in the garden and getting his hair out of his face and asking him if he wants anything to drink and what's your favorite hymn and um, just you know very tender moments of, of comfort. And there's something for me now about seeing him on the cross um, you know, with his head bowed that just, that makes me, that stirs that in me. I want to comfort him. Um, that it, it draws me near is yeah. just the best way to put it. And so, um, is there anything about the mass that really, that moves you, that grabs you? Yeah. Um, well, the, when we sing the Gloria, um, and, um, St. Hildegard of Bingen, said that when we sing, it's like being transported back to the Garden of Eden before the first sin. Mm. Like we're whole again. Mm. And so I can just feel my spirit just being elevated when yeah. we sing the Gloria. And then, so that's, that's one of the first thing that comes to mind. And then mm. after receiving the Eucharist and that time, mm -hmm. When Jesus is within me, mm -hmm. and I know that to be true, regardless of any feeling or, um, and to take that time um, to be grateful and to be um, with Him as intimate as as 
will ever be. Yeah. Um, and, and to just be. And yeah. that time between when we receive and take our place in the pew until you hear, let us pray, um, to me are the most mm-hmm. powerful moments yeah. in Mass. And, mm-hmm. and my favorite. And kind of the rest of the world disappears. You know, so I just got back from a pilgrimage to Israel. Yeah. And I loved, my favorite part of it was us um, really being a body. We were a church together, a bo- a, the body of Christ. Be- you know, you're dealing with so many um, variables. You're tired. You're emotionally exhausted. Um, it's hot. You know, the, there's all, the, all of these things. And you're tired. I already said that. <laughs> You're really, really tired. But you visit these places, and sometimes you feel deeply, and sometimes you don't. Mm-hmm. But we would get together as a group, and we would share our experiences. And I might not have felt anything at the birthplace of Mary, yeah. but somebody did. And so when they shared their story, now I get to hang on to that too. And so I'm forever going to sing differently. Uh, I'm forever going to sing differently that part of mass because you shared that. So I love it. You know, I'm, um, the other part that really sticks out to me is, um, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. If I've ever known anything, it's that I am sick (laughs) and I love attending a church that doesn't try to sugarcoat that. Yeah. Death, suffering, there it is, right up front and center. Right. Um, you know, nobody's trying to pretend that everything's okay. You know, we're pounding our chest three times to say, you know, that we're sinners yeah. and that we have fallen short and through our fault. So, um, so I, I'm really kind of clinging to like the realness of it. And, and it has transformed from being, you know, this list of arcane rights that I didn't understand to instead... Um, you know, mystery and awe and authenticity, just really, really authentic, just allowed to be just right where I am. Yes. And, and you don't have to, you can just enter into what already exists. Like the beauty of the the history, you know, whereas in your modern churches, you know, it's like, well, what, what am I going to preach on and what readings are we going to use? And so just to be able to enter into all of those things that have been decided over thousands of years. Yeah. Um, to wonder yeah. and, and to worship. Um, to me, that's also a gift. Yeah. You know, and I don't ever think I appreciate my Catholicity more than when I'm out of town at a, a church. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, yep, I know exactly how all of this goes. And Don't you think that takes a fair bit of humility, though? To, to kind of, like, slide into something already there instead of building it? Mm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just picturing, um, Seth is a lot better at that than I am. Um, I've mentioned before that he likes, he's totally fine with learning something backwards. Like the church says it, the church teaches it. I don't get it. I'm accepting it. I'll figure it out later. Yeah. I, I really kind of have to start for, wait, wait, mm-hmm. what, what, what? Let me figure this yeah. out. And so he's like, 2,000 years worth of people much smarter and holier than me have thought about this. I'm good. And I'm like, okay, okay. And it just, it gives me something to aim for. Yeah. But yeah. Um, So is there anything about our beloved church that makes you want to bang your head? I say that in the most loving of ways. Well, 
Um, I just I, I met a new friend and she's delightful very recently and was raised Catholic and can't even be in a church now mm. just so uncomfortable was mm. raised in parochial school and um, so when the church becomes a stumbling block um, I, I've heard so many of these stories in my work yeah. and and um, and so when the it makes me bang my head when the church is associated with pain yeah. And when that when the church has been the source of a great deal of pain, yeah, because I know that's not what God intended, yeah. and um, because in the church we use words like scandal, you know, and we we want to do the right thing, and so I think a lot of times we haven't loved people well mm-hmm. for fear of scandal or, you know, I think yeah. we can be too calculating sometimes. Yeah. It really um, hurts me when the church and things of God have been instruments of pain and yeah. division. Yeah. It's and it's happened. Mm-hmm. It happens. Mm-hmm. Um like this book I'm reading said, you know, and the churches can be both a stumbling block and a cornerstone, but it can't be a cornerstone until it's apologized for being a stumbling block. Mm. Wow. And ugh. Yeah. And what does that look like? Yeah. Wow. So that any t- anytime religion and things of God and, and are they create division? Yeah, um, that that's hard. I love um, that you're the guest for this episode because you do have um, people of other faiths in your life. Mm-hmm. I I feel like that's um, always kind of portrays a well-rounded story um, as opposed to somebody who grew up in a Catholic church and has never stepped foot inside um, of another one. What is it, you know, we talked about witnessing the Baptist breakup. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> wild. The breakup incident. Um, but what what is it that makes you stay? So we know what brought you home. What is it that makes you stay? Yeah. Well, like your husband, you know, the, the 2,000 years um, has a lot. The stories of the saints... Um, I mean, gosh, you know, the transformation we see in their lives and we see in their stories and the things that they were willing to do for mm-hmm. God. And my, uh, my own personal moments of um, encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were, and for example, you mentioned the crucifix. And on the first silent retreat I ever went on, I encountered Jesus on the crucifix outside. The priest who was um, offering the retreat encouraged us to go look at the moon. It was especially beautiful that night. And... I walked outside and lit by a street lamp was Jesus on the cross, but not like over there behind the altar, but like right there on like a, like a stone pillar. And so I was standing just underneath, like directly. And it was so shocking to me. And he was only like half illumined from the street light. And I looked at him and he was shocking. He was life-size and just shocking. And I, he looked so real. I swear I saw his chest heave. Hmm. And I started crying. <laughs> I, it was just, he was so real in that yeah. moment. And I, in that moment, I felt the weight of w- what he would say or could say in that moment says, there was nothing more I could do mm-hmm. to, to have you believe in me, mm-hmm. to know that I love you. Mm-hmm. And so when I distrust or am tempted to distrust um, to say, basically, I'm saying back to the Lord, um, your sacrifice is insufficient. Mm-hmm. Oh, 
Yeah. I can't, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I do it all the time in my actions, you know, mm -hmm. in my doubting or my lack of zeal or, you know, I mean, the list is a mile long. Yeah. But consciously and verbally, can I say that? Yeah. Wow. So, um, what makes me stay? You know, I, I meet Christ in really powerful moments. Sometimes it's, you know, um, in a place where you didn't expect him, like that, mm -hmm. and, and, and in a statue. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of times it's in the people I meet, and, you know, in the Eucharist on Sunday, mm -hmm. um, in the 2,000 years, and the stories of the saints. And, you know, I have a holy hour every Wednesday night, um, and I meet him there every week. And I don't think I've ever gone in there and um, been the same when I left. Mm -hmm. You know, I yeah. can't... I can't find him like that anywhere else, nor have I needed to go looking anywhere else. Will you tell non-Catholic listeners what a holy hour is? Sure. So a holy hour is a place where um, Jesus is waiting for us. And by that I mean, as Catholics, we believe that um, when the bread is consecrated during the Holy Mass, that the bread becomes Jesus body, blood, soul, and divinity. So he's truly physically present. And so once that happens, um, we treat him as though he is present because we believe he is. And so he is either um, put into a golden or whatever box locked. It's called a tabernacle. And if he's not in there, then he's in a monstrance, which looks like this kind of beautiful, ornate sun-looking thing on a stand, like a vase, kind of. And so that's on the altar. Um, and so a holy hour is when you go and you sit with Jesus for an hour. Um, and it's the most peaceful place on earth. Mm -hmm. And I find God in nature a lot. Mm -hmm. and, na and nature, I mean, I mean... I can't say enough things about finding God in nature and, mm -hmm. and that, but but outside of nature, mm -hmm. being in the chapel for a holy hour when Jesus, they call it exposed, mm -hmm. um, he's out there and he still looks like bread, but as Catholics, we believe that, you know, he's hiding <laughs> uh, and, and waiting and um, and inviting. Yeah. And so... Yeah, that's that's the most powerful hour of my week every mm -hmm. week. And here's why I love you. Here's how true you are. Okay, so listeners, you can't see this, but the whole time we've been talking, you've been looking at me talking, and then I say, "Will you tell the listeners?" And you just looked at my phone the whole time you were talking. Oh, I did. Because <laughs> you're telling the oh. listeners. <laughs> I didn't even realize I did that. I thought my eyes were closed. You're so adorable. No, that's funny. Oh, I love it. Um, okay, so. So, Heidi, before we go, um, what do you think is a good goal for the church in this present climate, culture, environment? Yeah. I think the goal of the church is always to love. Mm -hmm. um, and to love in ways that people need to be loved. Mm -hmm. And um, to sit down, you know, in very personal ways. I mean, to me... Um, that's where healing takes place, and I think Pope John Paul II, Saint John Paul II, said, um, "You know, dialogue is the new charity." Hmm. And so I really think, you know, things like what you're doing here, hmm. let's broaden this conversation, mm -hmm. um, and 
see what we have in common. Mm -hmm. What do we have to learn from one another? And mm -hmm. Christ's prayer being that we are one. Mm -hmm. um, can, seems like we're repeating. You know, we're doing the similar things like all over the place. You know, and, and duplicating efforts. And yeah. um, if we could, if we could come together, because the love of God, I think different faiths have different ways of showing it really well yes. and just like people are all manifest something about the character of God yes. I believe um, you know what can we what can we learn and to have real places where those conversations can be had and um, that we could um, really answer Christ's call and prayer um, for unity mm -hmm. by agreeing to the dialogue by agreeing to be uncomfortable mm -hmm. uh, by being willing to learn and to listen I don't know if I answered that well but yes you did it's perfect I'm really passionate about unity and I couldn't have said it any better I love it thank you Heidi for offering us your time and heart and wisdom well I appreciate I appreciate you asking me I appreciate knowing the first part of what we talked about here <laughs> of, of what you saw in me it was just such a uh, great reminder that we don't know what people are taking away mm -hmm. Pe people are people are watching mm -hmm. and um, and love you know love flows yeah. and so um, we know that God is love so may he may he descend upon us and bless us in abundance because that's who he is amen thank you Heidi And now, a word from our sponsors. This episode of Center Saint Sister is brought to you by Nightingale Pest Solutions, providing effective, ecologically conscientious strategies that promote healthful and pleasant pest-free environments for homeowners and businesses across the Brazos Valley. Nightingale Pest Solutions, exemplary service, extraordinary care. And Signs Cleaning. Signs Cleaning, quality commercial cleaning that suits your company's budget. Call 979-260-3160 for a complimentary bid. Signs Cleaning. We don't cut corners, we clean them. My best friend and I certainly don't have all the answers, but that's never stopped us when it comes to matters of the heart from trying to comprehend, evaluate, analyze, apply, and synthesize. Wait, is that Bloom's taxonomy? I knew we were onto something. This is me, my best friend Kristen, and your questions. Hi, Bee. Hi. <laughs> and we're on. <laughs> so, um, this episode is talking about um, Catholicism in particular. So, I never had a church home as a young person. Mm -hmm. I was always kind of a, a tag-along churchgoer. And I tag-alonged with you a lot. We went to a lot of youth group functions yes. together. I would like to think that that was your home. Maybe you did not feel like a home. Oh. Um, I was kind of borrowing your home, I feel mm -hmm. like. But, I, I mean, I loved it. I, here's the thing about um, my spiritual development is I do not... I don't look back at, like, the steps that I've taken and think that any of them were wrong. Every single one of them was leading um, to right. where That's I cool. am now. But um, so I, I kind of I floated around, I bounced around. Um, when I did finally find a home, did it surprise you that it was in a Catholic church? Um, that's an interesting question. I don't, I don't think so. Um, first of all, the first thing that actually comes to my mind is that I can remember it being 
not a surprise, but I remember thinking that we had had, like, stereotypes of the Catholicism before, mm-hmm. um, that we had said together, but honest to God, in this moment, I am so, like, with you and have been so with you on this journey that I can't even remember what those stereotypes were, because, <laughs> or things that we said that were ignorant at the time, because now we're both... I can tell you, because I still get them all the time. <laughs> Um, but anyway, you did, I don't feel like you like called me one day and said I'm Catholic. You yeah, started right. a very intentional um, process, and I remember like talking about it piecemeal. And you did a lot of homework, and yeah. Um, yeah. and so it wasn't a surprise when you like made the commitment. I guess. Yeah. Even um, the Catholics in my life that had known me as a young person, you know, would often tell me you're Catholic and you just don't know it yet. Oh, well. And so I think I had some Catholic leanings that I didn't even really know about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a journey, but I'm thankful for it. And um, I think about, you know, it was never, it wasn't really, um, the only way that it was surprising to me was that it was just like if you were kind of jumping along these lily pads, it was a lily pad that seemed off course. But like you said, it was it was slow. So, yeah. yep. <laughs> um, so our question comes from a fellow Catholic who just went through RCIA, and she says this: I have recently found a home in the Catholic Church, but my family of origin is not supportive. Do you have any tips about how to make them respect my journey? Um, this this <laughs> question, the easy question. <laughs> um, one thing that I have found because I am a lot of times the lone Catholic in a lot of Protestant circles is that um, there's really not a lot of good that can be done um, in arguments. They're just going to have... You're, I think that this is something to set aside and let them um, kind of spectate your life from maybe a, a safe distance for you. Um, that doesn't mean um, an emotional distance. You know, you're not punishing... You're not withholding love to teach them a lesson. I mean, that Jesus never did that. Um, but I do think it's okay to not try to change their minds about anything and just let them spectate for a while. Right. And just see your commitment to it and that this isn't, maybe it's just that they're not trusting that this isn't like a fad or a Mm -hmm. rash decision that you've made, but Mm -hmm. just see you live into it and see the fruits in your life. And then hopefully those would be more telling because I don't think it's our job. I mean, while it's our job to share the good news, it doesn't have to be force our, the way that we worship on Sunday mornings on other people. That's right. The big thing has been done. Like Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus lives. The rest is really up to a Holy Spirit. But I'm sorry that they're not supporting you, like especially if you're excited about a new, you know, faith. but there will be other people in the church, hopefully, that you can develop intimacy with and share that with until your family's ready. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like. All right. Thank you, listener. Thank you, Beef. Bye, Beef. Bye, Beef. Lubelle is my friend from junior high. She won every science fair there ever was. We lost touch for a while until Facebook intervened, and now that we're reunited, it is all my pleasure to log on and see Lubelle win the internet day after day. 
There was a church we visited in Arizona called the Chapel of the Holy Cross. Built to the Red Buttes of Sedona, it is both an architectural wonder and a spiritual place that draws a million visitors a year. We hiked up the trail because dare I ask my husband to park in the lot right next door when he can hoof it half a mile up the mountain instead. And I sat in a pew for a few minutes praying before heading to the altar to light a candle. The sign at the door of the chapel says, Though Catholic in faith, this chapel has universal appeal. Its door will ever be open to one and all, regardless of creed or race. That this church may come to life in the souls of men and be a loving reality that prayer is not judgmental, but lovingly human. Amen. From the book of Hebrews, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. I teach at the women's prison in my neighborhood where week after week I learn that they are just like me and I am just like them. I have moved around a lot. There are a couple of things that I am sure never gets lost in the move. One of them is the only picture I have of my dad. I've never met him, so I stare at the picture and try to guess at who he might be. Another thing is a handful of my recovery key tags from AA. Even though I've blown it too many times to count since receiving some of them, I keep them around to remind myself sobriety is possible, even when you're not locked up in jail. The other thing I always keep close is my grandma's rosary. I never really knew what it was, not really, but it was always in her hand, looped one time around her wrist, the rest of the beads a clicking pile in her palm. I really loved my grandma. She did a lot of the heavy lifting when it came to raising me. And unlike my mother, she was slow-moving, soft in the middle, and smelled like face cream. My mom was sharp and angular and fidgety and smelled like cigarettes. My grandma didn't have an easy life. Her daughter had made a series of bad decisions. Her son was in jail. Her husband was an alcoholic prone to violence. She settled all of her heartaches with the beads she carried around. She and my mother would argue and my grandma would slip into her room, sit on the side of the bed, and mutter in Spanish while she fumbled with her beads. My grandpa would storm around the house angry, and my grandma would slip into her room, sit on the side of the bed, and mutter in Spanish while she fumbled with her beads. My uncle would call from the prison, and my grandma would hang up the phone, slip into her room, sit on the side of the bed, and mutter in Spanish while she fumbled with her beads. Without fail, she would exit like nothing had happened and ask me if I was okay. Did I need anything? Was I hungry? I think she looked at me as the last-ditch effort to contribute anything of worth to this world. I soaked up her efforts like the needy child that I was. While I was collecting her goodness, she was settling her soul with her prayers. Now that I am grown, and I know firsthand how it feels to have the person who loves me abuse me, and for my son to be in jail, I don't know how she did it with such grace. I am convinced the answer is in that special place on the side of her bed, those clicking beads 
and her Spanish mutterings. I keep my grandma's rosary close, loop one time around my wrist, and pray to know the peace she knew. Dear God, we are your children, and we know you hear our prayers. We come to you humbled and fervently lift up our churches. If the Holy Spirit is alive and well inside of us, God, then it should look different. And we ask you to lend us your holiness so that we might look different, distinct from the world, in love as we engage with outsiders, in unity as we love those with whom we might have nothing in common but the gospel. Keep us, God, from temptation, complacency, idols, worldliness, and greed as we go out and make disciples the way that we've been commanded. Revive us, God, so we turn to you, heart, soul, and strength. Build our churches up, God, in your name and for your glory. We ask these things in your Son's name, Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you believe in me, even though you die, you shall live forever, and I will raise you up, and I will And for this episode, a special thank you to Prince of Peace Catholic Community, Matt and Stephanie Ragitz, Seth Sullivan, Heidi Dixon, Kristen Kelly, Lubel Cruz Gaelic, Priscilla Aguilar, Pamela Anthony Cutright, Nightingale Pest Solutions, Science Cleaning, Brian Federal Prison Camp, and Chan Redfield for music.